Good morning, Citygate Church and all of our online guests. Here we are in week number nine of our series on the Glorious Church. Last week, we talked about our God is a God of power and how the church is empowered to work signs and incredible supernatural things in the name of Jesus Christ um, as we believe in God. And God will work with his word and he will anoint our lives to turn our world upside down. I'd like us to turn in um, to Acts chapter two again which is our core scripture for this whole series. And here we are in um, Acts chapter 2 from verse 42 down to verse 47. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, the breaking of bread, and in prayers. Fear came upon every soul, many signs and uh, wonders were done through the hands of the apostles. Now all who were believed, they were all together and had all things in common, they sold their possessions, they sold their goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing every day with one accord in the temple, they broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favour with all the people. And the Lord added to the church every day those who were being saved. I'd also ask us to turn over to Acts chapter 4 now and at the end of the passage there from verse 31 and when they had prayed the place where they were assembled together was shaken by the power of God and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Now everybody who believed were of one heart and one soul love the power of unity. I love the power of agreement. God lives in agreement. It says they didn't say that any of the things that they possessed was their own property, but they had all things in common. And with great power, the apostles spoke about Jesus Christ, etc. The grace of God was upon them all. Verse 34, there wasn't anyone among them who lacked anything. For all who were possessors of lands and houses, they sold them. And they bought the proceeds of the things that were sold and they laid them at the apostles' feet who gave out to anyone who had need. And then there was this one guy who had land. And in verse 37, it says this, he sold it and he brought the money and he laid it at the apostles' feet. Today, I want to talk about the grace of giving, the grace of giving. Um, at the very heart of the nature and the character of God is generosity. God is a generous God. God is a giver for God so loved that he gave. And if there's one mark of the true Christian church, if there's one characteristic of the believer, that I believe speaks just so much into our world and speaks of the fact that we've received Jesus Christ as Lord. And it's this, that we are people who are generous. We have the grace of giving upon our lives and within our hearts. Our God is a giver. He doesn't just give enough. There's so much in the Bible that clearly demonstrates our God is more than enough. He's the God of abundance. He's the God of not just, you know, enough to get by, but a super abundance. He does far abundantly above all we could ask or imagine. Why? Because God is a generous, abundant God. 
I know for a long time, it's as if the gospel and the church has been equated with poverty and about how our God is a God who wants people to be poor and to be in hardship and to get by because that'll especially make you holy if you're really struggling in your life. You can even find through history whole denominations that believe you need to put yourself down for God to be more glorified and that even into the clothes they wear and you know they wear the simplest of clothes and you know some extreme expressions in history is where people have actually done themselves harm in you know because they think that's going to give glory to God and they go without because they think that's going to give glory to God the opposite is true and we're going to find out from the word of God today that our God is a God of provision our God is a God of abundance and it's because he is a generous God one of the greatest marks of the church of Jesus Christ is that we are a generous people we live to give We live to bless other people. We live to make other people great. We live to be generous into the lives of other people. But in complete contrast, the kingdom of the world, if I can call it a kingdom, the spirit of the world, the Bible talks about that all that's in the world is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. There is a spirit in the world that operates in people's lives. It's completely opposite than the kingdom of God. The Bible says the kingdom of God is light and good and the kingdom of the world and the king- is a kingdom of darkness and evil and sin and ungodliness. Whereas the kingdom of God is a kingdom of power where God sets, you know, sets captives free. The kingdom of darkness, the kingdom, the spirit of this world wants to bind people up. The kingdom of God is a kingdom of abundance and more than enough. And the kingdom of the world is a kingdom of poverty to strip people away and to reduce them. The Bible says the devil, the enemy, only comes to steal and kill and to destroy. You see, poverty is not just a financial position. It's a spirit. It's a mindset. And I want to talk a little bit today, just as we get into this, about about how we're going to understand the kingdom of God, because there's been so much confusion about this. So many things have been said over the years that completely confuse people about who our God is. One of the greatest lies that has been told about our God is that he's mean and he's stingy and actually he's a God of poverty. And the more poor you are, the more holy you will be. And it's just a complete lie from the kingdom of um, of the enemy, from the darkness, from the lies of the enemy. The Bible says the devil is the father of lies and he's told this one really well over a long, long period. You can go to the Old Testament and you can find that God says, if you do the right thing, can I say it like this? If you're holy, then you're going to be in abundance. And yet if you listen to some people, it's as if if you're holy, you're going to be poor. And, and that's poverty in every area of life, not just financially, but in all sorts of areas. So I really want to try to help to put this straight today. Um, and so we need to understand some things. Poverty breaks families up. It destroys people's lives. It causes wars. It causes all sorts of turmoil in the planet. Of course, it causes death and destruction. It creates and runs whole political systems the spirit of poverty. Again, it isn't just a financial statement, it's a mindset, how people think. Lack and insufficiency, it destroys 
lives. So the first thing I want to do today is really help us to understand what is a poverty mindset. That might sound quite strange if we're going to understand the grace of giving today. But in order to understand the grace of giving, the Bible says people are destroyed through lack of knowledge. And also, if we're ignorant of the things of God, then that also brings destruction in our lives. And one thing that I've found so many times is so many people just are not informed about what God's Word says about these things of prosperity or poverty or abundance and especially the grace of giving. So the first thing to cover today is to really understand what is a poverty mindset. The world has a poverty mindset and it is because fundamentally the Bible says there is a God, small g, a God of money, a God of things, a God of materialism, a God of I need to get, I want more. And that is a driving force in the world today. People want stuff, people want things, and people's lives are run by their desire for more. And it's, a, it's an absolutely demonic thing. It drives people into all sorts of excesses that people want more. People have a hunger for more. And it's a demonic thing. The Bible really tells us that, you know, a, an understanding of God and in our relationship with God that in actually in every circumstance we can be content in all circumstances. That doesn't mean to say that we don't desire the blessing of God in our life and you know our God is a God of increase. You know obviously I'm going to be speaking about that today but it's not this um, hunger and desire for more stuff. That is the spirit of poverty that says I want more. Seems a bit of a paradox there, but the spirit of poverty actually, actually desires more. It's a spirit that is, that is in control in the world today, and it's something that we need to resist. So, what are lies that people believe? Let me go through this. A bit strong today, is that okay? Lies that people believe about this whole poverty mindset. Even Christians think like this. Unbelievable, really. First one is this. To have more... I must keep other people away from what I've got. So there's this sort of protective thing. If I'm going to get more, I need to keep other people out. I need to keep other people away. I need to be protective about everything I have because I don't want to lose it. That's the first lie that the enemy has told and people have believed. The second one is this. If somebody else has more, it means I will have less. We call it a fixed pie mentality. It means if someone's got a lot, then that means there's less for me. That is not true. That is a lie of the enemy. Our provision from God is not dependent on what somebody else has or does not have. God can see to it that your needs and your desires are super abundantly met, no matter what anybody else has or doesn't have. Let's get away from this comparison thing. Comparison is absolutely ungodly. It's clear in Scripture we've got to stay away from it. Jesus himself, he gave a whole parable about how somebody came at 8 o'clock in the morning and they said, you know, can I have a day's work? And the guy said, I'll give you a denarius. Somebody came at 9, somebody came at 10, 11, 12, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, all the way through the day. And at the end of the day, they all got the same denarius and the ones who came at the beginning got offended. Isn't that the spirit of the world today? That's a poverty mindset. It says, you know, because they got the same as me or because they got more equivalent, they only worked an hour and they got a denarius, it's not right. And there's this comparison thing. Whole political systems are set up for equality in the world and they're absolutely an ungodly system. 
What's the third thing that is a lie? I don't want charity. Have you ever said, have you ever heard people say that when, you know, perhaps you go to bless somebody? This is actually a poverty mindset. You go to bless somebody and they go, oh no, I don't want charity. And that's really just the spirit of pride on the inside. You see, poverty will produce pride on the inside and people are too proud to receive the blessing of God. And if, you know, if I can't receive from somebody else, I'm never going to receive from God because God provides through people. So let's get rid of pride, shall we? What's the next uh, lie that people have believed? It's this entitlement attitude that I am the victim and other people need to provide for me. Even in the scriptures that we've read today, it will be very easy for some people to say, well, I've got a need. The church has got to meet my need. And actually, we need to be thinking the other way around. I'm in the church. Whose need can I meet? You see, one's a poverty mindset and one's the grace of giving. Let's keep away from the entitlement mentality that I deserve. It's my right. The world is full of rights right now. This really is not a political speech, but you know what? There is this, there is this whole world today that is demanding entitlements and rights and I'm the victim and I'm the underdog and it's been done to me and previous um, generations need to pay the price today for what their great-grandfather did. There's all sorts of entitlement attitudes out there. And you know what? It all comes from a spirit of poverty and it all comes from the, um, yeah, from the kingdom of darkness. So let's keep away from that entitlement attitude. What's the next one? Oh, we go. This really is a poverty mindset. Life must be fair. Have you ever heard people say, that's just not fair? And we think life has got to be fair. Life is not fair. God doesn't promise a fair life, but what he does promise is that he will supernaturally provide for us. But let's not expect life to be fair. It's not fair this happened to me, and it's not fair that happened to them, and it's not fair. Let's get that out of our language. That's a, that's a spirit of poverty. That's a poverty mindset which drives people um, into all sorts of actions. What's the next lie people have believed? Um, that we judge, <laughs> this is a good one, they judge what they think other people need from their own position of what they think I need. Let me sort of explain that. So we think just because I only need a certain amount that if somebody else needs more than that, then they're in excess. And we judge other people's needs by our own needs. Again, this is a comparison thing, which is absolutely deadly. And it will rob your joy. It'll rob your peace. It'll get you into a place of offense. You know, some people might say, you know what, to really do everything that God wants me to do, I need half a million quid right now. And for somebody else with no vision, or perhaps they've got no desire or no plan to help people and to prosper people. They say, how can you need half a million quid? I don't know, all sorts of things can get stirred up in people's minds and we judge other people's needs by what we think is acceptable, you know, against the plumb line of our own need. And it's just absolutely wrong. I will come back to this word need later on in this message because even need can come from a bit of a poverty mindset. Um, you know, people say, I don't need much. This is another lie. I don't need much. I just need enough to get by. Have you ever heard anybody say that and they think they've been humble? This is a poverty mindset. My need is to turn the world upside down. 
My need is to feed the poor. My need is to clothe the naked. My need is to set captives free. It's not to just meet my own needs. My need is to see other people set free. And when you hear people say, you know what, I don't need a lot. I just need enough to get by. Well, all they're thinking about is themselves. It's a poverty mindset. I hope you're enjoying this today. Wow. Uh, what's another one? Um, oh, and this is a great lie that the enemy has told that cash and things and um, money is the root of all evil because that's what the Bible says. No, it doesn't say that. It says the love of money is the root of all evil. I've heard people quote that so many times, of course. Money is the root of all evil, you know, and it's absolutely not. It's absolutely not. That's a lie from the enemy. It's the love of money, which is the root of all kinds of evil, the Bible says. What's another lie that the enemy has told and people believe, even in the church? And that's this. If you can't handle money, if you can't handle wealth, then don't have it. That's a lie from the enemy. You know what the truth is of that? If you can't handle it, then go to God and change and grow so you can handle it. It's a bit like saying, you know, if you can't handle a, if you can't handle, you know, a relationship, well, don't have one. No, I need to go to God and I need to ask for the grace of God to change so I can handle a relationship because a relationship's a good thing. And if I find that there's an area in me that means I can't handle something, it's not that God doesn't want me to have it, it's that I need to change in order to handle it. The Bible is really clear that people who have a desire to be rich and they're championing after this stuff and they're chasing after it, there's something imbalanced on the inside. And, and it's really clear that it will, it will destroy their life. The Bible's clear about that in Timothy and other parts of the Bible. But it's not saying that it's wrong to be wealthy, but it's saying if you can't handle it, something needs to change in your life. Don't go without the thing, but go to God and mature and change and get the grace of God for that area. What's another lie that the enemy has told? Um, well, this is a bit of a big one to end this first, this first point on. And that is this, that God is moved by need. That's probably one of the greatest lies that there is, that God is moved by need. And it will probably, you know, surprise people and shock people right now to say God is not moved by need. He's not moved by need. If God was moved by need, there would be no need. I want you to just think about that. If God was moved by need, then when he found a need, he'd meet the need. I'm going to say it like this. God was moved by need. He was moved by the need of mankind for a saviour for a healer, for a provider, for a redeemer. There was the need of mankind, so Jesus came. And on the cross and when he was raised from the dead, God met the needs of mankind 2,000 years ago when Jesus paid the price for all need. Can I put it like that? But today God is not moved by need. It's really clear from God's word that God is moved by faith. Just because there is a need, it does not mean that God's all of a sudden going to do something about that need. Otherwise, there would be no need. I don't know about you, and I'm sure I can speak for you today. I know people with huge needs. I know whole nations with incredible needs. Our world today has incredible needs. We've had a need for the last year for there to be no COVID virus. 
There are needs everywhere. And yet, if we have this sort of underlying type of a mentality that God is moved by need, then we are never going to live in the abundance of Almighty God. Because again, it comes down to that entitlement thing, actually. I've got a need, so God needs to do something. And then we get into this whole wrong understanding that if something doesn't happen well, therefore it's not God's will to meet my need. And we get into all sorts of chaos in our theology if we start going down that route. But that is a lie of the enemy. And it's part of the poverty mindset that says this, God is moved by need. No, God is now moved by faith. So can I say this? Never go to God on the basis of your need. I'm just going to leave that hanging there because we're going to come back to this thing about need in just a few minutes' time. That's my first point today. We need to understand a poverty mindset and we need to get it out of our lives. Not believe the lie of the enemy. We need to believe and stand on the word of Almighty God. The second thing today about this grace of giving is this, that God's kingdom is a kingdom of abundance. Uh, It's a kingdom of more than enough. If you come into contact with the kingdom of God, God is going to... Uh, create something in your life. You are going to be left in a greater way than you were than before you encountered that thing. When you encounter the kingdom of God, Jesus said the kingdom of God is at hand. And every time he said that, it was to, uh, to bring people into an abundance in some area of their life. It could be healing. It could be in a relational area. It could be financial. It's most certainly spiritually. God is a God of abundance spiritually. He doesn't give us some scrape by relationship with God. He gives us an, a, you know, an intimacy with God that is full of life. He said, I've come to give you life and life in all its fullness. And that's first of all spiritually. And that's the kingdom of abundance that impacts our heart. Our Savior is not just a little Savior. He's the greatest Savior. Our healer is not just a little healer who can just do a little bit. He's the greatest healer that for him all things are possible. The kingdom of God is a kingdom of abundance. Now I'm going to bring in this word which has caused more controversy around the church of Jesus Christ, especially in the last 20, 30 years, and that's the word prosperity. To prosper. It's clear all the way through the Bible that our God is a God who wants his people to prosper. First spirit, Then in our emotions, our mind, our will, our decisions, then physically, then financially, and then socially and relationally. To prosper. This is going to surprise some people. In the Old Testament, the word you find all the way through the Old Testament of the Bible, the word prosper is the word shalom, that we normally think is peace. It's translated prosper all the way through the Old Testament because it means wholeness. It means more than enough. It means nothing missing, nothing broken. God is a God of prosperity, a God of shalom, a God of wholeness. And we have a gospel of shalom, a gospel of peace. So I'm going to say it like this, and I don't want to offend anybody, but I want us to think about this grace of giving today. And that is that we have a gospel of shalom, a gospel of peace, a gospel of prosperity. Wow. And even that may sound funny to some people. It may sound wrong to some people. But this is part of the undoing that we need to do in order to understand the character and the nature of Almighty God. Jesus came to demonstrate a gospel of shalom, a gospel of prosperity, a gospel of abundance. Everywhere he went, he did more than enough. 
Everywhere he went, he set captives free. He provided for people. He paid people's tax bills. That's amazing. He fed thousands of people with five loaves and two small fish. He did so much to bring people into the place of provision in every part of life, in their relationships. When that lady was about to be stoned to death, he brought prosperity into her life. He said, well, if they're not going to judge you, I'm not going to judge you. Go and sin no more. He brought her into a place of prosperity emotionally. And she felt accepted by God. The prosperity of God acts in every part of our life. And today we're going to specifically focus on, as we go to Acts chapter 2, as we've been there, about how people provided financially for other people's needs and God provided for them, of course. Something else that I think I need to say, and I'd love to spend a long time on this, is Jesus Christ in his earthly ministry for 33 and a half years was not a poor man. Now, there's a lot I would like to say about that. The Bible says in Luke chapter 8, he was financed by the wives of the chief stewards from Herod's household. I mean, just, that's just a little verse, but it just gives you an insight that God was, was able to prosper the life of Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us that when he was crucified, the soldiers, the centurions and the soldiers, they gambled for his clothing. He wasn't wearing rags. The Bible says he was in a seamless tunic. It's like saying today, designer clothes. I don't want to upset people, but we've got to get a different picture of Jesus Christ. He was not some poor prophet just sort of, you know, going around with, without anything. He displayed the abundance of Almighty God. Just something else to add into that as we think. If we were to ask ourselves the question, did Jesus ever sin? we would have to say, no, absolutely not. If I asked us the question, was Jesus holy? Absolutely yes. Did Jesus ever get it wrong? I'm trying to say this a number of different ways. Did Jesus ever get it wrong? Absolutely not. Did Jesus hearken unto the voice of the Father? Absolutely yes. Did Jesus live upright under the law? Absolutely yes. The Bible clearly tells us. He lived upright under the law. He never got it wrong. He never broke the word of God. He never disobeyed the Father. He never rebelled. He was absolutely perfect and sinless. So therefore, God's word was fulfilled in his life. And if you were to turn to Deuteronomy 28, it says, if you hearken unto the voice of God, if you do the word of God, then you know what he says? You're going to have gold and silver um, it says your storehouses are going to be full. Your kneading bowls are going to be full. Your enemies come against you one way and flee seven ways. So many things it says are the results and the rewards of being holy under the law. So Jesus Christ could not have been a poor man. Why? Because the Bible goes on and says, but if you sin, you'll be poor under the law. I'm talking about under the law. This is really important. Under the law in the Old Testament, if you sin and got it wrong, you'd be poor. You wouldn't have gold and silver. You'd be sick. You'd be broke. Your family would be destroyed. Enemies would come against you and destroy your life. Well, Jesus didn't have any of that. Why? Because he was perfect and sinless. Therefore, he was also blessed. If he'd lived the life of poverty, that would have been the life of the curse. And you only lived the life of the curse if you failed in your relationship with God. 
under the law. Just some things to think about here. I don't know how you see Jesus, but I see him as the most blessed man who's ever walked the face of the earth. Doesn't mean to say he necessarily had a big bank balance, but it did mean that he could do anything with the abundance of God in any situation he found himself in. You know what the Bible actually says that um, uh, Judas, his job in the 12 disciples was to look after the money bag. He was the one who gave to the poor. He was the one who gave the abundance away. And the Bible says he was stealing from the wealth of the ministry. He was stealing and people didn't even know it except for Jesus Christ. I mean, just lots of things to think about there. The Bible says, you know, prophetically in the Old Testament that in the end times, I believe, everything's going to shake in order that the greater glory of God is going to pour into the temple, the latter temple, which we could interpret as the church of Jesus Christ. And it says a direct result is that the gold and the silver belongs to Almighty God. And in the place of the glorious church, that's what this series is about, God will give shalom which is prosperity, which is more than enough, nothing missing, nothing broken. If you read all of that in the book of Haggai, it says everything's going to shake. There's going to be great glory in the church. The gold and silver is going to be everywhere. And the shalom of God is going to explode in the end time church. So this is the kingdom of abundance that we have. And um, I'm sure I've said a number of things here today that you're going to want to go away and think about and even perhaps say, but yeah, but what about this verse and that verse? Come on, we need to go back to the character and the nature of Almighty God. So friend, we've been talking about the fact that there's a poverty mindset which destroys people, but our God is a God of abundance. We have a kingdom of abundance. And you know what? The Bible says that the enemy has come to steal, kill and destroy. But Jesus said, I've come to give you life and life in all its fullness. We're going to carry on next week with this, with this um, understanding of the God of abundance and the grace of giving. But the, at the very heart of what I'm saying today is this, that we can have a prosperity with God. We can have a relationship with God. I've explained that prosperity is spirit and soul and body and finances and socially. Well, that first one there is our relationship with God, that God wants to come in and take out that dead old hard heart that doesn't know God and is really doing life independently from God. And He wants to prosper us on the inside. He wants to flood us with His goodness, with His abundance, with His spirit. And that is what the Bible says, we are born again. We have a brand new start. The old life goes, the new life comes. That's the very heart of prosperity. So I'm going to ask you to pray a prayer with me right now that receives Jesus Christ as Lord. That will bring prosperity, the abundance of God, the wealth of God's love and His goodness and His joy and His peace and His patience and His kindness. And it'll flood into your heart as the Holy Spirit removes out all that deadness and brings His abundant life. Friend, will you pray this prayer with me? I'm going to ask you to pray now. Just you know, just repeat it line after line with me. Say, Heavenly Father, I thank you that you love me. I thank you that you demonstrated your love by sending your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die on a cross, to be brought back from the dead in order to give me life. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for me. I receive you today as my Lord 
and my saviour and my friend. I turn away from the way I've lived apart from you. And by the help of your grace and your power, I will never be the same again. I receive your abundant life in Jesus' name. Friend, if you've just prayed that prayer, you are now a Christian. The Bible says you have been recreated on the inside. God has moved in. Whether you felt something or not really isn't, isn't important. It's the fact that it was a decision of faith led by the Holy Spirit. I'm going to encourage you to do other things. We'd love to get a Bible to you. Really important that you read the Bible, which is God's word to you, that you get involved in a a church somewhere physically, not just online, but physically. If you're anywhere near Southeast London, we'd love to see you here in Citygate Church. But friend, I'm so excited about this whole series of the Glorious Church. Um, and also, of course, these two weeks on the grace of giving. I'm going to encourage you to tune in again next week as we start to learn about the principles of abundance and how we can step in to that incredible grace of giving and see God's prosperity flood every part of our lives. Well, God bless you. Have an amazing week. Do everything you can to help make other people's lives great. We'll see you next week.